Back in 1989, there was a financial advisor in Philadelphia. He was at a flea market, and he found a little frame with a picture in it. He didn't really care about the picture. He just thought the frame was cool. So he bought the frame for $4, brought it home. He was looking at the canvas, noticed there was a, like a rip or something in it, so he started messing with it, and the frame broke. The very thing that he bought it for broke. But when it did, underneath the canvas, there was a folded up piece of paper. He pulled it out, opened it up, it was a copy of the Declaration of Independence. He went and had it checked out. It was, at this point, the first printing of the Declaration of Independence. There were 500 copies made. Only 23 still exist today. Until that moment, there was 24. He then sold it at an auction for $2.4 million. <laughs> Man, I wish I had gone to that flea market. <laughs> Can you imagine something that it was so small, it, it cost $4, it wasn't much, and yet it had immense value. Today, if you are a believer in Jesus... You have something that is very small, but it has immense value. It can do something incredible if you decide to use it. Would you pray with me? Father, as we open your word together, we pray that our hearts would be open to your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would learn and grow We'd be challenged and encouraged. And Father, we might leave here different, more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to open up the Pew Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. It's on page 523. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're starting at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. This is a pagan culture. This is not Jewish. They do not believe in Yahweh. And in fact, they have fought the Israelites. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, even though he is not Jewish and does not follow the Lord, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. All right, now this is all a setup. All, right, all the beginning of that verse is a setup. This man has just been described in glowing terms. He has respect, he has power, he has success, but he had leprosy. He also has a disease that so far does not seem to have impacted what he's doing, but it will, and eventually it will take his life. So here is this man who has everything 
except for one thing he can do nothing about that will ultimately defeat him. Verse 2. Now bands of raiders from Iran had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. One of the raids that the Arameites went out and did was in the territory of Israel, and they actually captured a young girl, took her back, and made her a slave, and gave her to Naaman's wife. She, the young girl, said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. This young servant girl, slave, offers something very small that has the ability to have a gigantic impact. She speaks up and she shares her faith with someone who is in need. She has an answer to a problem he cannot solve. And she speaks up and shares. Now, I want you to think for a moment how terrifying that might have been for her. Number one, she just speaks up and offers something. She doesn't actually have that right as a slave. She has no idea what her mistress is going to do with that information. Her mistress might just be annoyed or might be worse. How dare you want to send us into the land of the enemy? In fact, is this a joke? Is this a trick? You want to send my dad, excuse my husband, to where a prophet of Yahweh is? There's so many things that could have gone wrong with this. And yet... She overcomes whatever fear that is, and she shares her small amount of faith with her mistress. How do you overcome fear? If you haven't guessed by now, the small thing that we all have to offer, every single person in here, if you know Jesus, is to share your faith with others. To share something in their moment of need that comes from your relationship with God. And yet, that is scary. Why? Let me name some reasons and see if you connect with any of this. You might look foolish. She's speaking to a pagan who doesn't accept the Israelite religion. If we speak our faith into our culture today... How many people do not even believe in God, let alone Christianity? You may look really foolish. She could have had something worse happen to her. She could have had a punishment for daring to do this. You might lose a friend, make somebody really uncomfortable. Someone might even get upset with you for daring to say, Hey, I know you're going through a rough time. Can I say a prayer with you? There's a number of things that could happen. But we have this faith that can make a difference. We are getting ready to head to Colorado in a couple of weeks. It's going to be wonderful because it's been two years. 
because the last time we were there, we were there the week that the NBA cut the season short because of COVID. That's where we were in Colorado. It's the last time we were there. We used to go every year. We love it. And so we're getting to go again. One of the places that we go is the Cave of the Winds. It has one of the most incredible ropes courses. It is two stories tall, and there's a whole section of the ropes course that sticks out over the canyon 600 feet above the canyon floor. And in 2017, we went, and I put my harness on, and I went up to that second floor, and I took one step out to where you could see down that 600 feet. And I will tell you, I'm not afraid of heights until that moment. And I just stopped, frozen. My feet would not move. And I'm sitting here thinking in my head, you could do this. Like you're on a harness. You're not going anywhere. I could not make myself move. And a moment later, my daughter, who at that point was 11, she stands up next to me. She's like, Dad, you okay? I'm fine. (laughs) Okay, then get out of the way. And she just whips out there right onto the thing. I swear she started doing cartwheels on this thing. I mean, it was like, and no, I just had to go back down. But I'll tell you what, for the next year, I had one mission. I was going to defeat that ropes course. And in 2018, we went back. And my family, I'm sure they were thinking, cooler weather, beautiful mountains, you know, giant donuts that we get. I was just thinking, conquer the ropes course. It's all that mattered. So, harness back up, head up that thing again. By the time I get to the second level, my daughter is already up there again, and she's like doing laps. She's running around it, mocking me and the course. And I stopped. I got to the same spot. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this. And then I looked out, and I'm watching my daughter. And I decided, for the sake of all dads everywhere, my 12-year-old was not going to beat me. And I did it. Gritting my teeth the whole time, I walked out that thing. It's a triangle. I walked out to the point. I walked back, and I promptly got off that thing and have not been back since. (laughs) But my pride was stronger than my fear. And here's the thing. There is always something. How many times in your life on a regular basis do you overcome your fears? Now, maybe there's some fear out there that you haven't yet. But every day, we overcome fears in our lives. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's duty. Sometimes it's because we think the reward is so great. But there's always reasons that we can overcome our fear. This little girl overcame her fear, whatever the consequences might have been to share her faith. I want to show you why you and I should take this small gift that we have, our faith, even when we are afraid, and we should share. Look back at the text. Let me show you what happens. Verse 4. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Now, she doesn't know any of this. 
Here's one of the things you need to know about sharing faith. You will not always know what the impact is. She may find this out at some point, but we don't know the length of time or anything else. She shared her faith, she took a chance, and then it's up to the Lord. Verse 5, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. This is all something he's going to bring to the other king to get this healing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending you my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Right, something was a little lost in translation. Um, the girl had said, go to the prophet. She can do this. But they're just kind of skipping that and going right to the king. Now remember, these two kings, they're not on good terms. These are enemies. And Israel has often been in a precarious situation where other nations on the surface were stronger. That's part of why you get the king of Israel's response. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Again, he cannot cure the leprosy. Naaman can't do it. The king of Aram can't do it. The king of Israel can't do it. And so the king is like, I think he just wants to start a war. And then they're going to come in. They've already taken some of our people. Now they're going to come take us. Verse 8, when Elisha, this is the prophet that she's talking about, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He sent him this message. (laughs) And this message is a little bit of like, really? Like, get with the program here. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. And he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Okay, don't forget who Naaman is. This guy has all of the reputation and power. The moment he needed something, the king is like, go, I'll send you a letter. He's bringing his whole entourage with him, and he comes to the door of the prophet. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger. Just, you know, let that sink in for a moment. (laughs) This is a proud man. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, not in any of the rivers where you're from, but in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. I thought to himself, That he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of Yahweh his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. I expected him to come out to me. I expected a spectacle. He was going to call on his God and it was going to be done. That's what should have happened for a man as great as me. He's got pride too. Are not Abana and Fairpar, the rivers of Damascus, better Then all the waters of Israel, couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Verse 13, Naaman's servants. Okay, we're back to servants. They have a good role in this story. You've got a servant who starts this whole thing off. Now you've got servants who are going to bring it back on the course. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? 
How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Good logical argument. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Here's what happens. This servant is willing to share her faith. She's willing to say into a pagan culture, she's willing to say to enemies, people who have captured her and made her a slave, I know there is a problem you have that you can't solve, but my God can. Just go see the prophets. And from that, here's what happens. A man has a miracle in his life and is cleansed from leprosy. Not only that, the man comes to know Yahweh. He says, this is, I know this is the only God now. He is, in our terminology, saved through this. Not only that, he deals with his pride. He gets an incredible lesson in pride. Where he comes and he's unwilling to do what the prophet said because his pride is too great. And then his servants come to him. He listens to them and receives healing from all of it. Not only that, what's happened to Israel? The great commander of Aram's armies is now a friend of Israel who believes in Israel's God, Yahweh. All of this happens Because this servant overcomes her fear and is willing to share her faith. And you think about what she does. There's a lot of ways that you could share your faith. What she did, she didn't do this. She didn't go, okay, let me tell you about Jesus who can save you from hell. I know that's where you're going. Here are what you can do to be saved. What she does is look at the situation. And she says, here is how my God can work in your life. You need healing. My God can do that healing. I'm going to share a couple of brief stories with you. Different ways that people have shared faith. I'm going to start with my own personal moment. Back when I became a Christian, I was 16 years old. And I was just on fire for God because it was all new to me. I would not known any of this before. And I wanted to share Christ with everyone, especially a lot of my friends, the people I grew up with. But I wasn't hanging out with all of them still. And there was one guy in particular. We were friends for a long time, but we kind of had a falling out. I don't know, like when we were 14. I'm not sure what 14-year-olds fight about that causes a great divide, but it did. But I found him, and I shared my faith with him. And his response was not positive. He wanted nothing to do with me or Christianity. In fact, he said something like, after all this time, the only thing you want to do is dump your religion on me. But a couple of years later, I was at Cal State Bakersfield. He was also apparently at Cal State Bakersfield. I didn't know that. 
we both ended up at this big Christian night thing that was going on at the college. And there were probably 150 kids there. So I didn't even know he was there. He got up on the stage and he shared his testimony. And he said, I have come to know Christ. And it was really about two years ago. Because a friend of mine came, even when I didn't want to hear it, and shared Jesus with me. And I think I broke down crying. I had no idea. I didn't do anything special. And I will tell you up front today, I still have trepidation at times sharing my faith. Even with a story like that. And yet God used that. And it was one of those moments where you actually got to see the results. On Thursday morning, I was at a prayer breakfast for World Relief. There were about 20 pastors, and one man gets up. He's a refugee. He's from the Congo. He's been here about three years, and he was the speaker. And I say that lightly because it wasn't real formal. He doesn't speak English, but his daughter, who was the sixth of eight children, did. So she gets up next to him, and he begins to share the way in which while the war was going on in Congo before they came to America, at one point the fighting broke out literally in their neighborhood. They could hear the fighting outside of their home. They spent two days locked in their home. They know of neighbors who were killed. And yet every one of their family members survived that. And as he tells the story, he says, God protected us and our family. Later on, he told a story about how they got here in the first place and they should never have even gotten here. They weren't on the list. And he said, God gave us a miracle. And then he described things about when they were here. But every time he was sharing, you could see he believed God working and he was sharing his faith. Not by saying anyone had to do anything. You didn't have to go put your faith in anything. He was just saying, I want to share with you what God did. That is a way of sharing faith. Back in 1869, Fanny Crosby wrote a song called Rescuing the Perishing. And that song came out of a personal account. She used to go to a mission in New York. She tried to go once a week to talk to the boys that were there and just share with them, try to make their life better, hope that some of them might eventually come to Christ. And she did this over and over again. But on one particular time when she was there, she felt like God was saying to her, there is a boy here who has lost his mother and if he does not come to faith, he's going to lose everything. And she listened. And toward the end of the evening, she said, if there is anybody here that you really feel like, like you need your mom, you've lost her, would you come and see me? And a boy came up to her afterwards and he said, "Miss Crosby, are you talking about me? My mom wants me to meet her in heaven. But the way I am living right now, that is never going to happen. And she prayed with him. He accepted Christ. And he said, now I know I will see my mom because God has found me. The way she shared is she often just listened. She tried to hear where God was leading her and then stepping out in it. 
all of it takes faith. But there's so many ways that we can share our faith. The question is, will we? These stories about the Declaration of Independence, there's a couple of them. There was another man, Michael, was at a thrift store in Tennessee called the Music Thrift Store. And while he was there, he found a rolled up yellowed scroll and he thought it was cool. So he took it, brought it up to the counter and bought it for $2.50. Brought it home, started examining it. In 1820, John Adams commissioned Actually, I said that wrong. There's 200 original copies. 500, John Adams issued a 500 print of the Declaration of Independence. This was one of those 500 back from 1820 that was printed. He sold it for $500,000. My daughter has started going thrifting a lot. (laughs) Sweetheart, please keep your eyes open. (laughs) Now, that has a backstory to it. After this happened, it was printed in the newspaper. And a man contacted the newspaper and told the reporter, his name was Stan Caffey, and he said, a year ago, I'm the one who gave that to the thrift store. He said, that yellow scrolled, I bought it 10 years ago at a garage sale. And he said, I hung it up in my garage. He he worked on bicycles, and he hung it up in his garage where it sat, hanging up for 10 years, until he got married. And when he got married, they had to combine households, and they decided they need to purge a lot of stuff. And his wife said, you have way too much stuff in this garage. And he admitted that he did. And they had a debate over whether or not to get rid of this yellowed scroll hanging in his garage. She won, or didn't. (laughs) But this is what he said. I'm really happy for the guy who got the money. Reason being, if I still owned it, I'd have just left it hanging in my garage. It never would have gone anywhere. At least somebody got the benefit out of it. I would have just wasted it. Don't let that be your faith. We're holding on to something that has a lot of value. And I'm not telling you there's a particular way you have to go about this. But if God has made a difference in your life, can you share that with others? That God might use it to make a difference in their life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the great love that you have for us, the ways in which you protect us, you guide us, you open doors for us. Lord, I know most of us here can look back and we can see ways you have worked in our lives. Lord, help us to have the boldness to share that with others. Help us to listen. Help us not to just hold on to that faith 
that can make an impact in the life of somebody else. Let us do it for their sake, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.